And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. I'd ask you to just imagine your own smartphone and the apps that it contains and what those apps then give you in terms of access to a myriad of information and systems that help you go about your daily life. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu Does America. StuDoesMerch.com. Use the promo code Stu10 to save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell for notifications, do all the things. Zach Smith from the Heritage Foundation is here to talk about how George Soros is wreaking havoc on our legal system. Joe Biden makes a staggering admission on his Afghanistan withdrawal. Only a couple years too late. But we start by doing diversity. In space. Yes, it's diversity in space. How important is diversity in space? We asked you that question. How important is diversity in space? 52% said intelligence matters more. 44% said, send me to Mars now, please. And 4% said diversity is the most important thing. We should also note that Michael Malice uh, asked the question, why space got to be black? I don't don't have an answer to that, but it's a really good question. NASA has named a diverse astronaut crew for the Artemis II moon mission. And I know you're as excited as I am, because when we're talking about space exploration, really the color of the skin is the most important uh, characteristic for the person going up in the spaceship. Because that's how you maximize space travel and the scientific benefits to it. Astronauts in 2023 are much different from those when the United States was in a race to beat the Soviet Union to the moon. During the Apollo program, 24 astronauts flew to the moon and 12 of them stepped on the surface. All of them were Americans. All of them were white men, many of whom were test pilots. I don't know what that has to do with the other two, but this time the astronaut corps reflects a much wider swath of society. Mm-hmm. They were uh, Reed Wiseman, the missions commander, Victor Glover, the pilot, Christina Koch, or Koch, uh, mission specialist, and Jeremy Hansen, a, also a mission specialist. The first three are NASA astronauts, while Mr. Hansen is a member of the Canadian Space Agency. When we were selecting astronauts back then, Mr. Glover said in, a, in an interview, we intended to select the same person, just multiple copies. You ever um, go to a hospital, you're about to have surgery, and then the surgeon walks in and you say, wait. Where's the diversity of the surgeon? How come I might be getting a white man or a white woman? What if I'm getting a black man? Why is it not a black woman? Um, When your life is on the line, do you ever think about diversity? Do you ever think, you know, I don't really want the best surgeon. What I'd like is like the eighth best surgeon, but I want someone with a different skin color. Does anybody do that? Do people, do even these activists do that? Do they go in there and demand a Hispanic doctor if they get a white one? Also, does anyone go in there when they get a Hispanic doctor and say, no, I want a white one? Neither one of those are good choices. You should not make decisions based on skin color. That's do rule number one. Never, ever in your entire life make a decision based on skin color. It's a really super easy rule. It's only one rule. And it's super easy to remember. Just don't make decisions based on skin color. Always make them based on merit or something else that is important. Never, ever skin color. 
just a little tip for you to carry around with you on an everyday basis. Ms. Koch, or Coke, by the way, will be the first woman to venture beyond low Earth orbit. And Mr. Hansen, as a Canadian, the first non-American to travel that far. Mm, it's so exciting. Now, it was so exciting that even Kamala Harris got involved in the fun. You already saw her Veep Thoughts. You can watch those, by the way, at veepthoughts.com. But she had one today that was just as inane as all of her other commentary. I just spoke yesterday with astronaut Glover. Do you guys know who he is? <laughs> why, why, why is that funny? He's about to go on the Artemis II mission to circle the moon. I just talked to him yesterday, right? She's flabbergasting. I, it's as if she is an alien that has no idea how to communicate with regular people. Like she's seen a YouTube video, an explainer about how to interact with humans, but she's never actually done it before. So she's trying to imitate a YouTuber doing it. That's kind of what it seems like on an everyday basis. I will say really idiotic to pick astronauts based on their diversity. Now, look, I don't know, maybe astronaut Glover is the most uh, qualified. He probably is really super qualified. And no problem with the people they picked. I don't know anything about them, frankly. They could be the worst astronauts in the world. I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about them. But what I do know is that is not how you should make these decisions. When lives are on the line, picking people based on skin color is a bad idea. Another situation in which skin color uh, as a selection process is a bad idea is all other things. I don't know if you remember the rule. Never ever in your entire life make a decision based on skin color ever no reason to do it just no reason to do it ever and yet we are told all the time now that this is supposed to be the way to go you're in a, a oxygen free uh, weightless environment and uh hey what where are the Asians? Like, that's a bad way of thinking about who should be next to you. You should just think, well, Asians might be an exception. But still, you know what I'm saying. They're really smart. That was a Asians are smart joke. Okay, so let's go to uh, LSU. Because as we all know, African Americans have been discriminated against in the world of basketball for so long. It's been a very hard road for African Americans at 13% of the population to be only represented at 75% of the National Basketball Association. The oppression is so real. Uh, LSU Athletic Department says basketball team will accept the White House invite after Angel Reese suggested the opposite. So not even LSU isn't listening to Angel Reese anymore, which is amazing. By the way, should I point out here on this mediaite uh, particular story here? Um, again, this is something that my producer pulled. If you could zoom in, is it? I mean, why would why would the internet believe that my producer needs a veter veteran's cremation guide? Now, has he murdered a veteran? Is that what's happened here? Has he been Googling how to murder a veteran? And I'm like, hey, this is how you cremate him. I'm very suspicious of my producer. I'm very nervous about what's going on with these ads. And we're going to keep following this as we go. Uh, by the way, if you miss this from, uh, what's your face? Angel Reese the other day. Here was her explanation about why she was talking trash and how she, again, was so oppressed as a black basketball player here in America. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I mean... All year, I was critiqued about who I was. No, Nobody. No, you weren't. 
I don't. Yeah, 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 the narrative. I don't fit the narrative. The narrative of a I don't bath, fit in the box that y'all want player? me to be in. I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. Y'all told me that all year. No one told you that but all year. But when no. other people do it, y'all don't say nothing. Do what? So okay. this was for the girls that look like me. That okay. one, that's going to speak up on what they, they believe okay, stop, in. Stop, 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 stop. These are for the girls that look like me. Okay, that is not how this works. If you want to say that all black people look alike, you're being racist. Okay? Uh, yes, she happens to be African-American herself, I guess. So she's allowed to say all black people look alike. I don't believe that at all. But I will say this. Every day I come in here and I host this program. Uh, for all the people who look like me, people like Brad Pitt, who look exactly like me, Chris Hemsworth. You know, people are like, hey, Chris Hemsworth could never host a crappy podcast. And I say, no, no, yes, he could, because I am here and I look just like him. We have the same skin color, therefore we are identical. That's insane. That is much closer to what we've called racism over the years than everything else that the left is complaining about on a daily day-to-day basis. But let's just ignore it. Let's just ignore it and move on with our lives. How about Shania Twain? Shania Twain, not in space. Angel Reese, not in space. But the diversity has come to Earth as well. Shania Twain calls for equal play and more diversity in country music. Yes, after she's made her $1 billion in the industry, she's now wanting other people to get some money, which is nice of her. The legendary star in the genre used her acceptance speech, the Equal Play Award, at Sunday's CMT Awards to call for more equity and diversity in the country music industry. When I wrote the phrase, man, I feel like a woman, I had honestly no idea at the time that it would become an undercurrent of a decades-long career, she said. It's amazing how one statement can empower so many. Now, this is revisionist nonsense, okay? The idea that man, I feel like a woman, was designed to be some, I guess, transgender theme song is not true. That's not how she wrote it. It's not what the lyrics say. Let me give you an indication of that. No inhibitions make no conditions get a little out of line. I ain't going to act politically correct. I only want to have a good time. Well, that's exactly what she's doing here. She's acting politically correct. Man, I feel like a woman was not a story about how Shania Twain is actually a man and feels like a woman or the other way around. It was an exclamation. Man. Just like, you know, Joe Biden says, come on, man. Come on, man. I feel like a woman. I really feel like a woman. Yes. That's what Shania Twain said. Not me. Now, I also feel like a woman, but that's just something special for me in my alone time. Okay. Uh, I believe in an all-inclusive country music. We're family, Twain said. This is a genre of music with a rich history that raised and nurtured my own songwriting and performance and recording career from childhood. Currently, the industry standard does a real disservice to this. Huh? Really? Is that true? I mean, I, I, mean, I don't follow country music all that closely, uh, to be honest, but it seems to be a heck of a lot more diverse than I ever remember it. Also, I don't think people who listen to country music care what they want are the best songs. If they come from an African-American, great. If they come from, uh, you know, someone from Madagascar, fantastic. If they come from someone from Argentina, wonderful. I don't think they care at all. I will continue to do my best as a trailblazer, said the incredibly, incredibly humble Shania Twain. Together, 
Let's ensure all of our fellow artists get equal play, regardless of gender, age, or race. Why not sexual preference? How about that? Notice she didn't even mention the LGBTQQIA2 plus community. If you do an entire speech without mentioning them, you are Satan. And there's even worse stuff going on. Yes, it's not just space. It's not just country music. It's not just the absolute oppression of African Americans in the sport of basketball. But no, it goes even to our video games. Yes, it's true. John Leguizamo says, hell no! to watching the new Super Mario Brothers movie because they messed up the inclusion of diverse actors. Amen. Now, you might say, why would I want to hear from John Leguizamo? But before you ask that question, let me get it over with because I don't have a good answer to it. Are you going to yeah, be yeah, watching listen. Super Mario Brothers? No, I will not be watching Super Oh, my goodness. So they, could have, they, they could have included a Latin character. Like, I, I was groundbreaking, then they stopped the groundbreaking. I know, but well, you they know what? Up. <laughs> they messed up the inclusion. They disincluded. I know. Right. So what do you say do. to people who, yeah, sure. you know, who might actually go out and support this? Should you What's say, up? hey, guys, if you stand for inclusion, maybe Just you should Just cast some Latin folk. Cast some Latin folk. We're, we're 20% of the population, the largest people of color group, and we're underrepresented, overrepresented in the worst kind of jobs, though. Oh, I know. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, sure, Shabbat. So no Super Mario Brothers for you? Hell no. That had to be every person in America who wants to take a photo with John Leguizamo, right? I mean, it took like five photos. That, that, there can't be more people than that, right? That's incredible. Um, Latin, Latin... I mean, does he have a point here? Let's look. This is the poster for the new Super Mario Brothers. Uh, and you see there are a bunch of cartoon characters because it was a video game. Um, but here is the cast of the people voicing it. And here you will see the problem. You see Jack Black and Seth Rogen and Charlie Day, uh, Chris Pratt, all white. Other people I don't recognize as well, all white. And then the guy from Nintendo who is, who is, is not white. I believe he's Japanese. But still, most of them were white. White, white, and white. Now, what's interesting, perhaps, about this is the fact that John Leguizamo wants Latin people in the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is a movie about two Italian plumbers. Now, we are told over and over again, you're not supposed to take other people's culture and appropriate it here. What would he be doing? I mean, if he was a Latin guy playing... Luigi, for example, that would be incredibly offensive, right, to their standards. If he ever did anything like that, that would be a real problem. Like he did back in 1993. Here's the movie, Super Mario Brothers, who's playing Luigi? Guess who? John Leguizamo, a Latin guy, playing an Italian guy, which I guess at that point was still okay. I don't know when that changed exactly, or if it ever made any sense. By the way, Dennis Hopper was also in the movie. He played Bowser or King Koopa, right? Um, and uh, he is not at all a dinosaur-lizard-dragon hybrid. So, I mean, that's total appropriation. They won't even address that. No one will. It's only me taking the brave stances here uh, today. But, like, this idea... Uh, that inclusion and uh, race is always going to be at the top of our minds isn't just for idiotic pop culture stuff like this. It also goes to the foundation of our law, our legal system. Let me show you 
Andrea Mitchell trying to explain why Donald Trump was criticizing he, the people who arrested him the other day. And it may or may not be coincidental, but both the DA and the judge are people of color, or uh, the judge, as Judge Kira was, was ethnically Hispanic, I believe, Latino, and of course the DA is black. So they have certainly become targets of his, in any case, and their families. I mean, how boring is the world in these people's eyes? Everyone, all the time, all the decisions they make are based on race. That's how they see the world. Now, the people they're accusing of these crimes largely do not see the world that way. I mean, Donald Trump, for all the things you can say that you might not like about Donald Trump, he criticizes everyone who criticizes him. That is the rule, okay? If you say something bad about Donald Trump, then he says something bad about you. Is Joe Biden black? Now, you know, he, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. That I know. Uh, but still, is he Joe Biden black? Is Hillary Clinton black? No, they're not. If the prosecutor in this case was white, which I believe some of the other people who are going to be charging him potentially with crimes coming up, they'll be white. Do you think he's going to be critical of them? Of course. He's going to say it's a witch hunt no matter what it is. He doesn't care about the color of people's skin. He cares about people who are attacking him. And that's how he fires back against all of them. To bring race into this is idiotic. And you know what? She knows it. And every person on the panel knows it. The all-white panel, I might point out. They all knew it as well. That is just how this stuff works. So no matter whether you're talking about diversity in space or diversity in comic books or diversity in sports or diversity in the news or in our law or wherever you are through all of this nonsense, remember, this is completely the wrong way to look at life. You're doing life wrong if what you're doing is judging people based on immutable characteristics like skin color. You might, why not eye color? Why not hair color? Why not, you know, length of fingernails? None of this stuff makes sense to judge another human being. We are supposedly advanced intellectual creatures that can do more than sniff each other's butts to figure out if they like you or not. That's not how, that's how dogs do it. That's not how human beings are supposed to do it. And honestly, the, the level of analysis and the constant racial hyper-focus in this country is below, below the level of sniffing someone's butt. At least you learn something from the smell of their butt. You don't learn something from somebody's color of their skin. And I will say this, you can give me some credit because I want this entire diversity monologue and did not show you one photo of Dylan Mulvaney. And that was intentional because I didn't think you needed to see another photo of Dylan Mulvaney, whether it was for Bud Light or Nike. However, if you go to Glenn Beck's Twitter feed, I've retweeted it as well at Stu Does America, you will get Glenn's entry into this conversation. It's Dylan Mulvaney with a Nike sports bra on and it just says, just dude it. So put that in your memory banks, maybe retweet it, and then forget about it forever. Okay, so you got the pants, the shirt, the shoes, everything you need to dress, to impress. And then, of course, what's next? Well, you go outside, your pants fall down. Why? Because you forgot your belt. Yeah, Grip6. You need your Grip6 belt. Now, Grip6 is a small company in Utah that sells in the United States and all over the world. But they source almost everything they make 
right here in America. They love this country just like you. Their belts are minimalist. They are not jutting out of your shirt. They uh, also are customizable. You can get like, laser etched designs and logos and flags and all sorts of cool stuff on the belt buckle to make it personal. They're available in carbon fiber so you don't set off the metal detectors at the airport. And uh, if that weren't enough, Grip6 has all sorts of other stuff too, like a great selection of socks that will keep your feet warm, but not, you know, they're not too, like too thick. Uh, to get through, uh, you know, to fill up your shoes too much. Also, I will say, uh, even in the summer, these are great socks. They can keep your feet cool in the summer, warm in the winter. Go to grip6.com slash stew. They got great wallets as well. You're really going to like. Uh, if you use the code stew, you'll save 15%. It's grip, the number six.com slash stew. Grip, the number six.com slash stew. Get 15% off today. I want to bring in Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow and the manager of the Supreme Court and Appellate Advocacy Program at the Heritage Foundation. Also the author, uh, co-author of an upcoming book, Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. Very timely book, which you'll be able to pick up here on June 27th. Mark your calendars, pre-order now. Zach, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Let's start with uh, the kind of the news of the week. We obviously know the Trump uh, situation has been the big news when it comes as it's related to Soros prosecutors. And when I look at this, this seems to me to be, a, you know, straight out a political uh, an issue of political persecution. Um, am I looking at that right or wrong? You've, you've looked at the, the case here. What do you make of it? Well, I think it certainly stands in stark contrast to Alvin Bragg's usual prosecutorial policies. You know, as we write about in the book, he came into office pledging not to prosecute most misdemeanors, not to prosecute many felonies, not to seek imprisonment, even for many repeat violent offenders. And so when you compare those policies to the charges that he's brought here, which, by the way, Liberal commentators, as well as conservative commentators, are saying appear to be very weak. It appears he's pursuing a novel legal theory, a complex legal theory. Uh, you know, it really uh, makes you wonder why these were brought in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's funny because people, as you point out, and I've said it too, like the novel legal theory thing or complicated legal theory, in some ways it seems like, well, maybe he's just an advanced thinker to the person who's never heard these terms <laughs> before. But that's that what that means is he's just stretching, right? Like he doesn't really have something that works, so he's stretching to make something out of nothing. Well, look, one of the things we don't want in our criminal justice system is a creative prosecutor. <laughs> People yes. should know what the laws are. Uh, they should know what conduct is prohibited and what will happen if they break the law. And so Alvin Bragg, if you look at the indictment, it's essentially the same thing, copied and pasted 34 times for each of the 34 counts. He's trying to take what would ordinarily be a misdemeanor offense under New York state law, a falsification of business record charge, and bootstrap that into a low-level felony by saying that Donald Trump or someone acting on Trump's behalf falsified these records with the intent to cover up another crime. Now, here's the problem, Stu. Alvin Bragg never says in the indictment what that other crime is. It's not clear from the statement of facts. And I think it creates a very real problem for Bragg as he pursues this case, uh, because right now, any other crime, especially if it is a purported campaign finance violation might prove very difficult for him to to pursue. I mean, it really does seem like the one thing you had to include in this indictment or the statement of fact was what crime you were charging him with or what associated crime elevated this to a felony. And he just kind of skipped that part, which is this is amazing. Uh, Zach, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is because you have this book coming out here in, in June. 
And it's about these Soros prosecutors. And you go through, I think, right. is it eight cities, I think, where you kind of look at the effects it is. Um, of, of all of these people. One of the chapters is about this guy, the guy that really no one seemingly knew his name until a few weeks ago, uh, Alvin Bragg, as he comes into New York. You know, when you looked into him, what made you want to highlight him and what did you uncover? Well, we wanted to highlight him because of his terrible policies and more importantly, the consequences of those terrible policies have had on the citizens of New York. If you look at what he pledged to do when he ran for office, if you look at the memo he issued shortly after he took office, some refer to it as the day one memo of his new prosecutorial administration, he basically said, I don't believe imprisonment is appropriate for most criminal offenses. I'm not going to seek to hold many individuals pending their trial without bail, even repeat violent individuals. I'm not going to prosecute a host of crimes. And well, Stu, the results speak for themselves. New York City, like so many other cities where these same policies have been implemented, uh, it's in chaos in so many ways. And violent crime rates, particularly rates like uh, murder rates, uh, shootings, uh, other violent crime rates, uh, they are absolutely skyrocketing under the the leadership of these rogue prosecutors. Yeah, you know, it's incredible. We went through a list yesterday of people that Alvin Bragg has let out, as opposed to going at the people like Donald Trump that they've gone after. People with 50, 60, 70 arrests, some in the triple right. digits. People who've committed domestic violence, who've attacked people on the streets. Those people just get right. released back out to do it again. And you, you highlight the hypocrisy here at the beginning when you're going after Donald Trump for some paperwork thing uh, that is past the statute of limitations when you're not going after these people who are really hurting regular New Yorkers. Right. Look, and for all of Alvin Bragg's many, many flaws, he's not stupid. He realizes that by initiating this prosecution against Donald Trump, his star is immediately going to rise, particularly with those on the left. Overnight, he's become almost a household name. When else can you remember coast-to-coast uh, -coast coverage of a press conference of a local elected prosecutor? That just doesn't happen even in big cities like New York or Chicago, and yet it's happening in this case. Uh, but again, Stu, you know, stepping beyond this case involving Donald Trump for a minute, go talk to average New Yorkers, particularly people who live in crime-ridden neighborhoods, and they will tell you that Alvin Bragg's policies, uh, particularly his policies not to prosecute many offenses, to release people back on the street time after time, as you mentioned, uh, that those policies are absolutely devastating their communities. And the sad thing is, if you go talk to folks in St. Louis or Chicago, Los Angeles, Baltimore, San Francisco, all places that have or have had rogue prosecutors in power, you will hear many of the same types of stories time after time. Yeah, we saw, you mentioned San Francisco. We saw a terrible one just from the other day where the one of the co-founders of the Cash app was just murdered in the streets. You know, I, I had never been to San Francisco before, I don't know, maybe it was whenever the Super Bowl was there, five or six years ago. And you know, walking around the city, you can see why people look at San Francisco and say, this is a beautiful city. The hills, the, the architecture, there's so much that you could love about San Francisco. But, you know, even walking around then five or six years ago when the crime rates were lower than they are today, it is you're you take your life into your own hand going to Burger King down the street every single time you do it. These cities right. are being destroyed right in front of our eyes. 
Right. And one of the questions many people ask is why? Why are these prosecutors pushing these policies that seem so obviously wrong and so obviously harmful to their communities? Unfortunately, if you go back and we detail the ideological underpinnings in our book, but if you go back and look at it, this movement is really built on two myths. One is the myth that our criminal justice system is systemically racist. It's not. And the other is the myth that we have a mass incarceration problem in our country, which we don't. If you look at who is actually serving time in state and federal prisons, it is by and large repeat violent offenders. And so if you talk about not prosecuting people, if you talk about reducing our prison population by half, as some of these individuals do, that necessarily means that you're either going to be not prosecuting or releasing from prison early people who are going to harm our communities. Mm, it really is shocking. Um, you mentioned the sort of ideological underpinnings of this. You know, it feels like we're all, all these people in these cities are in the midst of a giant experiment, right? Where like, we're trying, hey, we're just gonna try all this crazy stuff and see how it works. And they're feeling the pain there. Has there been, uh, is there an example they could point to where they've tried these types of policies in another country uh, where it has been successful? Is there anything they can hang their hat on? No, none that I'm aware of. Wherever these policies have been implemented, the same disastrous consequences have followed. But there is hope, Stu. If you look at what happened in San Francisco, uh, even left-wing San Francisco, uh, the citizens there were so distraught, so fed up with Chase of Boudin's, their rogue prosecutor's terrible policies. They recalled him from office, kicked him out of office. And the citizens in Baltimore, uh, they kicked their rogue prosecutor, Marilyn Mosby, out of office. Uh, she lost her primary, and now she's facing federal indictment on a host of uh, unrelated charges. But there is hope. It just takes the willpower and the knowledge of citizens to know what is happening in their communities, what the goals of these prosecutors are. And more importantly, in our book, our last chapter, The Way Forward, we inform and try to empower citizens on what to do if they are confronted with one of these rogue prosecutors. Mm, that's great. I can't wait to read the book. I, I know it comes out here in, in June. Um, last one here for you, though. As we look at this, and you mentioned this George Soros in your title, when you bring up George Soros, there are these accusations of anti-Semitism. You're not supposed to. Why are you criticizing George Soros? But, like, here's a guy who wrote up in the Wall Street Journal about his plan to do just this, to change, our, to reform our justice system. This is something for right. years and years and years the media embraced and praised him for these efforts. And now that these, pro these policies are you know, giving us these types of results, we're told we're not allowed to criticize him. We're told that, uh, you know, maybe they're just not being done right. They want to do everything to throw us off of, of this. But like, really, when you look at this, I mean, George Soros donated millions and millions of dollars for this exact scenario to play out this way. And we're now seeing the results. If we can't criticize these plans, we're going to wind up having these policies all over the country. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, I think the charge of anti-Semitism is being thrown around much the way the charge of being a racist has been thrown around as well in recent years. It's an effort to shut down legitimate conversation, legitimate debate, and to try to stigmatize anyone who disagrees with the prevailing liberal orthodoxy. Uh, but calling out problematic policies, uh, regardless of who backs them, that certainly is not anti-Semitic. And in fact, I think 
think it would be doing a disservice to all of our citizens uh, if we try to put certain topics out of bounds uh, where they can't be discussed or debated, particularly when policies like the ones being implemented in our criminal justice systems have such devastating consequences uh, for the citizens uh, where they're being practiced. Yeah, you're, you're right. These, and these, uh, these consequences hit not just white men. They hit uh, disproportionately uh, minorities, uh, people from all different cultural backgrounds. This is something that the victims of all of this stuff happen to be the groups that, you know, are, are being targeted here and being, uh, you know, really feeling the pain. And that is that, that's just not OK. No, it's absolutely not. And we talk about this in the book, but you hit the sad irony of this entire movement on the head. You know, a lot of this is being done in the name of eliminating systemic racism from our criminal justice system. But if you look at who is actually being victimized when violent crimes, murders, shootings, those types of things are happening, it's by and large young black men. And so when violent crime rates increase, when homicides increase, when shootings increase, that necessarily means means you are going to have more young black men as victims. And so the very individuals these policies are supposed to be helping, these are the individuals that are hurt the most by these policies. Mm, Zach Smith, uh, he's from the Heritage Foundation. Be sure to keep out an eye out for the new book, Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. Uh, throw in a pre-order for that for sure. I can't wait to read it. It's available on June 27th. Zach, thanks so much for coming on the program. Of course. Thank you for having me on. You know, buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the right agent. Generally speaking, our homes are our biggest investment. And if you don't get it right, your life gets screwed up in a massive, massive way. That's why I recommend realestateagentsitrust.com. If you don't go to realestateagentsitrust.com, you're taking this transaction kind of into your own hands. You don't know. Who's going to know who the best real estate agent is? A lot of people don't, especially if you're moving to a new community. If you're looking for a house in a new place, so many people moving from blue states to red states right now. And if you're doing that, you know, I have a lot of friends who are new to Texas because they're like, I had to get out of Illinois. I had to get out of California. Well, when they came, came to Texas, they didn't know who the best agent was here. Yes, I mean, they're probably better than a lot of them in California, sure. But who's the best? You need to have the best on your side. Realestateagentsitrust.com, they've screened them all for you. Uh, they'll give you the basic info. The team will contact you to make an introduction to the preferred agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Go there now, realestateagentsitrust.com. You're not going to believe this, but the United States says that apparently we should have evacuated people out of Afghanistan a little earlier. Huh. <laughs> no way. Who would have possibly thought President Biden initially defended his decision as an, quote, extraordinary success and declared the end of an era in which the American government used military power to, quote, remake other countries. But polling at the time showed that less than 40 percent of Americans supported how he handled the withdrawal, like I mean, considerably less than 40 percent. Um, and uh, they did a 12 page summary of the review. And a bunch of the blame, of course, went to Donald Trump, because how else uh, what else would you do with a report in the Biden administration other than blame Trump, um, accusing Mr. Trump of hastily striking a deal with the Taliban to withdraw American troops by the spring of 2021 and failing to outline a plan? There might be something to that criticism. 
I hate to bring it up, but uh, maybe not a great idea to strike a deal with the Taliban, no matter what party you're in. Just throwing it out there. Important to note. However, of course, officials also acknowledged the speed at which the Taliban overtook the country and indicated a new stance of erring on the side of aggressive communication about risks. No. The document says that in the months before the military pulled out, the Biden administration chose to not broadcast loudly and publicly about a a potential worst case scenario unfolding in order to avoid signaling a lack of confidence. Was that really the reason they didn't want to show they wanted to show a lack of confidence or was it that they wanted to protect themselves politically? Either way, they didn't tell anybody that stuff could go wrong. They said everything was going to be fine. And then it went very, very wrong. The report does not directly call that a mistake. But at two points in the report, it says that the government, excuse me, has changed its policies and will no longer make that choice. So that's kind of what you do with a mistake. You change a policy and say, we're not going to do that again. That was really, really bad. Uh, And it's bad news and bad timing for uh, Joe Biden because he's got a new challenger in the field. That's right. RFK Jr. is in. He's going to be challenging Joe Biden as a Democrat here. Of course, uh, two things RFK Jr. Well, three things, I guess he's known for his last name. No one else. No one would really know anything about him if it wasn't for his last name being Kennedy. And he's talked a lot about, you know, how he doesn't really believe maybe the Kennedy assassinations have gone down the way that everyone else does. He's been kind of big on that uh, bandwagon. Some people have called him a conspiracy theorist. One thing that's interesting about him is he once uh, called basically for the execution of Glenn Beck, which is a pretty fun policy. That's one, of course, I support. Uh, But anyway, uh, RFK Jr. also uh, known for his anti-vaccine stances and his massive, massive global warming stances like we need to turn off society immediately except for my private jet type of global warming policies. He's getting in. Now there's three people in the race. Marianne Williamson. uh, Actually, Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. are in the race. Joe Biden isn't yet. You think at some point he might announce? Uh, I don't know, but people still expect him to be the candidate. This will be a good reminder that, uh, you know, all the because they've basically been saying the anti-vax conspiracy people, they're all right wingers. You know, whatever you think about that particular point of view, it's never been a right wing point of view. It's always been across the political spectrum. It's, it's until very recently, uh, it was kind of more of a left wing view. RFK Jr. was probably the most famous political uh, anti-vaccine politician. Uh, Jenny McCarthy and, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, her old husband there, Jim Carrey. Uh, big anti-vaccine uh, proponents. There's an article. The funny thing, there's an article. I was looking for this at one point. I can't remember what the story was. And I was looking for uh, the, uh, you know, sort of people they were calling anti-vaccine back in the day. And I found an article. I think it's in the New York Post from 2015. And they're like, or maybe it's the Huffington Post. I can't remember what it was. And they were like, here are the people that are the anti-vax, most famous anti-vax people. And you go through the list and like every single one of them is a left-wing figure. They're all Hollywood people. They're all left-wing politicians. The entire group, there's only one person in there that they say is is on the right and an anti-vaccine person. Uh, The name, Donald Trump. I kid you not. The guy who now is in trouble with his base for being too pro-vaccine was the one guy on the right they found who was anti-vaccine. So nothing matters at all. We say these things and they're totally reversed 10 minutes later and nobody cares. Back in a second. (laughs) 
There's a new movie coming out, and I think you're going to want to see that. It's by the same people who made God's Not uh, Dead and Unplanned. It's called Nefarious. If you've seen any of the great trailers or posters yet, it might seem like a horror flick, but it's not exactly a horror flick. I think there's some pretty scary concepts in there, though. Um, it's sort of like Interview with a Demon. Not Interview with a Vampire, Interview with a Demon. You don't want to miss this one. And best of all, it's based on a book by our friend, The Blaze's own Steve Dace, yes. Uh, I won't give away the details of the plot exactly, but I will say this. You know, Steve Dace, he's behind the script. You know it's going to be well worth your time. Nefarious opens uh, nationwide on uh, April 14th. It's uh, the weekend of April 14th. You can go see it in theaters. Mark the date. Get your tickets now at whoisnefarious.com. It's whoisnefarious.com. Be sure to see Nefarious as soon as you can. Get the tickets at whoisnefarious.com. In Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, who somehow is still the governor of that state, has signed a bill that will repeal the state's nearly century-old abortion ban. This was a ban that was passed in 1931, which is weird because clearly the founders uh, had it in the Constitution to not have abortion, yet every single state had it as illegal. What are the odds of that? They just, I guess they just never thought uh, as to what the founders may have thought about that. Luckily, Roe versus Wade came along and said, oh, it's right there. We can see it in between the lines, an invisible ink. And they put that rule in. Of course, Roe versus Wade was repealed last year. And uh, a lot of these laws were still kind of on the books. What happened, and this is the same thing that happened in Wisconsin, Old-timey laws were passed to get rid of abortion when everyone thought it was obvious we shouldn't kill children. We've now, of course, enlightened ourselves to think that they should all die. And uh, basically what happened was these laws stayed in the books because they were overturned by Roe versus Wade. And even blue states were like, eh, why bother changing it? Uh, you know, the Roe versus Wade thing is here. It's never going to get repealed. We don't have to worry about it. And I honestly was kind of with them on that. I didn't think it was ever going to get repealed either. It did get repealed, though. So all these old laws came back into effect. In blue states, they're going to get overturned. I mean, you know, look, it's not any worse than it was uh, a year ago. There was abortion in all these states anyway. It's just a matter of some of these are going to open up and hopefully over time people's minds change on that issue because I think keeping children alive is a good is a good uh, hobby. Just try to keep them alive more often. By the way, Kansas has a, a new ban uh, banning transgender athletes from women's and girls sports. They are banning athletes from these sports from kindergarten through college. The first of several uh, new uh, uh, possible laws restricting the rights of transgender people pushed through by Republican legislators. This is, of course, to AP News, who is writing it as if they are literally a volunteer for a trans rights organization. The legislature on Wednesday overrode Governor Laura Carey's third veto in three years of a bill to ban transgender athletes. Um, This has been an interesting thing because particularly in smaller rural states, with big NCAA programs, states have been hesitant. We saw this in South Dakota as well, where they're like, well, if we do this, the NCAA is not going to allow us in these tournaments. There's going to be all these problems. We're going to find out if that's real because this stuff is coming in red states like this. And honestly, it's more important than sports. It's, it's a bigger issue than that. You know, the truth is the truth. And whether it makes your sports a little bit less competitive is not really uh, the issue here. The issue is telling the truth about who people are and what they are and what their uh, their biological sex is. It's just fundamental truth. And that's going to be a little bit more important than even your college sports. Look, Blaze TV is... 
unfortunately always being targeted, being th tossed off of various social networks and all the rest. We need your support. And if you want a different source for your news and analysis, someone who's maybe, I don't know, occasionally sane, I want to continue watching this show for that perspective, but other shows can do it. It's blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. Save 10 bucks on your sign up.